Hi, I'm Josh and welcome to the Wild Nature Photography Podcast, the podcast that talks the art and craft of nature photography. It is the 5th of February 2024, podcast number 91, and the topic of today's podcast is going to be IT infrastructure, backup strategies, monitors, all that good stuff that goes on behind the scenes in the studio or the office or wherever it might be that you do your post-production work. So I want to cover that. I have discussed it in a past podcast, probably more than a year ago now. I didn't actually go back and check, but uh, some things have changed, some things have not. But increasingly, I'm finding that I get asked a lot about uh, IT infrastructure and hardware and what do I recommend and why? How much should you spend? How much should you not spend? What brands should you buy? What should you avoid? We're going to go through all of it. I want to give my recommendations uh, based on the current technology that's out there from, again, from my perspective, but just to shed some light and clarity around the issue, I think I think that's a, a good topic for today. I'm actually in Sweden at the moment. I've been in Sweden for a little over a week now, and tomorrow I will be driving to Oslo. It's a drive of around about uh, four hours from the house I have here in, in, in Sweden, and then fly to Iceland for my Arctic Fox expedition. And then uh, I'll be staying one night in just near the airport in Keflavik and then driving up to Izafira uh, the following day. It's a drive, it's a long drive. It's a drive of around eight hours, but it's a beautiful drive. There are three mountain passes to go over. Uh, in winter, it's very, very picturesque. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to getting back up to the Hornstrand and Nature Reserve to photograph the Arctic Fox up there. It really is quite a phenomenal location. And it's a place that, as I've said, I think I've said before, is very near and dear to my heart as well. Uh, I've been going up there for many, many years now, and I always look forward to returning. It looks like we're going to have a good snow year this year, so I'm very hopeful we'll get some uh, some fantastic environmental conditions. So some blowing snow, some gentle snow, all that, of course, will be very, very welcome. It does mean I'll be offline for more or less the next 10 days from tomorrow. So if you are trying to reach me at all, please just be a little patient and I'll get back to you on my return. Uh, there is no internet coverage uh, out in the Hornstrand and Nature Reserve where we are going uh, and there's no cell coverage either. So it will be offline for the time that I am guiding this expedition. So let's come to uh, the topic of the day, which is the city's IT hardware backup strategies and all that good stuff. And I think the first thing I just want to discuss there is when it comes to post-production, and perhaps I should put this in the title of the podcast, but in my opinion, and based on my opinion and my experience having been doing this a long time now, the most important piece of hardware you can purchase after you buy your camera and a lens, of course, is actually a high-quality photographic monitor. And the reason for that is because Laptop displays, no matter how expensive the laptop, the displays are just not up to it. They don't have the color gamut. They do not have the uh, uh, a very even brightness across the screen. And of course, the luminance value changes as you tilt the screen of the laptop. And that makes setting values very, very difficult, if not impossible. So the first thing I think anybody should do, if you're interested in high quality photography and producing the best quality work that you can, is that you go out and you buy yourself a decent photographic monitor, uh, because that really is the cornerstone uh, of getting a great result. And of course, that monitor needs to be calibrated as well. That's equally important. So not just a high quality monitor out of the box, but a high quality monitor that has then been calibrated 
It should be calibrated to D6500, that's 6500 degrees Kelvin with a gamma of 2.2. And nowadays, that's really easy to do that kind of calibration with a spider or an X-Rite calorimeter. Uh, it's a very quick and easy process. Uh, it's not difficult and it will ensure that you get accurate color every single time. So that's really the first thing to say about you know, all the IT hardware and infrastructure that goes around digital photography is the monitor is as important as the camera and the lens that you use. You really cannot do any serious post-production work on a laptop display if your output's going to be anything, you know, other than social media or or small images on the web or email. For anything high quality and certainly anything print related. And even, I think, realistically, even something that's going up on a website needs to be done and properly processed on a high-quality display. So that's the first thing I would like to say. Now, the second part of this equation is that IT infrastructure is always changing. So it's very, very hard to keep up. In fact, I'd say it's virtually impossible. There's always new product coming on the market and there are always new options. Nowadays, we have the luxury of SSD drives. SSD drives are really a must, in my opinion. They're a lot faster and a lot more reliable and stable than traditional spinning drives. And I think most people out there have started to move away from spinning drives towards SSD. The only real issue with SSD drives comes down to sizing. So in the larger sizes, if you're storing your entire Lightroom library, like I do, on SSD drives and you have a big catalog like I do, half a million images in my Lightroom catalog, that can be a lot of storage and that's expensive. So what do I do? Well, in my home studio, when I'm doing serious post-production work, I'm using one of the new BenQ SW272 photographic monitors. That's a 4K Adobe RGB display. It's the latest model. I'll put a link to it in in the show notes if you want to check it out. It's a display I recommend. Very, very high quality display. Exceptionally good bang for the buck. I've done a number of reviews on this display already, so I won't sort of rehash all of that now. Suffice to say, but that's what I'm using. And then I have that hooked up to a Mac Pro Tower. Now, this is not the current Mac Pro Tower. It's now a generation old, so mine is the Intel version. There is now the new uh, Apple Silicon version to choose from. But there is also the new Apple... Uh, studio, which I think offers a lot better bang for buck performance than the new expensive Mac Pro Tower. So recently when I've been asked about recommending IT hardware infrastructure for a post-production studio, a serious post-production studio in the home, I have been recommending the uh, Mac Studio. I just think that uh, it offers virtually the same performance as the Mac Pro but it's quite considerably cheaper and it has the same sort of upgrade options. Uh, The main difference being that uh, with the the studio, you need to use external storage and with the Mac Pro, you can put internal cards. That's about the only real difference uh, between the two. So I think the Mac Studio makes a lot of sense and I am a big believer in that you should specify any computer to the limits of the budget you are willing to spend or can afford. And the reason for that is because the... Hardware changes very quickly uh, and the performance changes very, very quickly and it's good to try and stay up to date for your investment, I think, as as long as possible. So I recommend a minimum these days of 64 gig of RAM. I think 128 or more is better if your budget allows. And likewise, for SSD storage uh, inside your Uh, studio, if you're going to use a Mac Studio, I think it's very, very good to have at least four terabytes and I think eight is better and then use external storage for the main catalog. So in my case, in my Mac Pro, 
because I have the ability to use internal SSD drives. I have a product from OWC, which is Otherworld Computing. They make uh, a, a large SSD drive. It comes in, I think, 4, 8, 16, 32, and even 64 terabytes. Um, and I house my entire Lightroom library on that, uh, on that drive inside the Mac Pro. So that's really, really fast because it's fully SSD and it's very, very reliable as well. Now, if you are going to a studio type system, you can, OWC actually have a product that plugs directly into the studio. It's called a Thunderblade. Again, I'll link to this in the show notes or try to link to this in the show notes. This is not something that I'm making an affiliate commission on or any anything like that. Uh, this is just products that I've chosen to use in, and I have found have worked very, very well for me as well. So the, the Thunderblade again also comes in like a four, I think it's four, eight, 16 and 32 terabyte options. And I think there is a 64 terabyte option coming. I'd need to check their website for that. But that is how I suggest uh, you house your main Lightroom library. Uh, and what size you need just depends on how many images you happen to have in your in your catalog, of course. And then uh, once you have that hooked up to the studio with a high-quality photographic display, you're pretty much up and running. But let's talk about field use and what works in the field. So currently, when I'm out in the field, I'm working with a 14-inch MacBook Pro. Uh, I have tried the 13. I've also tried the 16 and the 17. I found the 14 is a bit of a sweet spot for me in size. Uh, It's a nice display. Of course, it's not as good as a high-quality external display, but it's good enough for on-the-road use. And I have that configured with an 8-terabyte SSD drive inside it. And then what I like to do is, or what I do do, rather, is I copy my images from the day's shoot to the laptop, and then I back them up to another external, small, portable SSD drive that I have with me in the field. So that means that I've got, and I don't erase the card. So I have the images actually in three places. I have them on the computer, I have them on the SSD drive, and I have them on the card as well. And that gives me a belt suspenders and a piece of string <laughs> as a bit of a backup strategy while I'm traveling in the field. And then I can do some post-production work, I can do some keywording. Uh, I typically don't do much, ser- well, I don't do any serious post-production work on my laptop when I'm in the field actually. I may do some post-production, but it's more in line with uh, teaching my thoughts on working in Lightroom and how I like to process photographs rather than actually doing any serious post-production work. I will, of course, keyword my photographs when I'm out in the field. Uh, That is something that I've always done and that helps a lot when I have, because I have such a large catalogue of images uh, back in my home studio. What I will then do is I will write out all that metadata. So any changes I've made in the develop module, uh, any keywording I've done, I'll write out that metadata Uh, to the XMP file that's associated with my raw files in the field. And that's simply a matter of selecting all the images in Lightroom. So Command-A if you're on a Mac or uh, Control-A if you're on a PC and then Command or Control-S and that will actually write all the metadata changes out to the XMP file. Uh, And that way I can then take that folder of files when I get home, copy it to my home SSD, import it into my home Lightroom catalog and all of the changes and photographs that I have made in the field will be there uh, in my home machine. Then I can start formatting cards and erasing um, SSD drives, portable SSD drives, etc. So that that's how I sort of manage my field work. That's how I manage the images when I travel. That's how I get them into my home Lightroom library. I do like to run one large Lightroom catalog. 
Uh, I know some people like to run multiple catalogs. The problem I find with running multiple catalogs is that you very quickly forget where images are and you don't know whether they're stored on that drive or B drive or C drive. Where are they located? You have to find that drive, plug them in, point Lightroom to where those images might be and try and find them. That's a process I don't really want to have to go through. So I prefer to run one large Lightroom library, uh, one large catalogue, and just keep everything in the same place. It means sometimes when I'm out traveling for two months, three months at a time that I can be coming home with a lot of photographs. But because I have written all that metadata out to the files, to the XMP sidecar file, it's very easy to take all those changes straight over to my home catalog. Now, the only thing that doesn't come across when you do that is if you're using the flag system in Lightroom, so picks and uh, deletes and unpicks, uh, that does not come across because Lightroom stores that information not in the XMP file, but in its catalog uh, file. So you would need to actually export the catalog file if you wanted to have that information. That's just something to be aware of as well. Uh, and then once I have all the images on my Mac Pro at home on the internal SSD drive, what I will then do is the whole thing backs up to another external RAID array of spinning drives. And that's a promise system. It's a four drive system. I think I've currently got four 10 terabyte drives in there running in a RAID 5 array. And that works quite well for me. I would quite honestly prefer that to be backing up to another SSD drive, but 32 terabyte SSD drives are expensive and I didn't want to have to purchase a second one. Uh, I will eventually, when the price comes down, move that back up to a, uh, another SSD drive, but for now it can live on those spinning drives. I spin those drives down when I'm traveling so they're not running 24 hours a day. Uh, but I would, it would be my preference to run that on SSD as well. And then on top of that, I also have another off-site backup uh, to a very, very large spinning drive as well. And that's something I only update every other month or so. Really, I should update it a little bit more, but that just means that if there's a complete catastrophe at home in the studio, that I can still access those files through another off-site backup. So again, it's a belt suspenders and piece of string mentality. And that's really the key to all IT infrastructure and, and hardware and backup strategies is you need to make sure that you have multiple redundant options. And I think that uh, going with SSD drives these days makes a lot of sense, uh, particularly if you're looking at uh, long-term storage as well. Um, the only real downside to SSD, of course, is the cost. It is expensive, particularly once you get into those larger sizes. But if you're specifying a new Mac Studio or a new Mac Pro, that's also a very expensive computer and it's a very significant investment. And that's also worth making that point at, uh, you know, at, this point in, at this point in time. This sort of infrastructure, this IT hardware that I'm sort of discussing here is expensive. It's at the higher end of what's available out there. Uh, but I think it's commensurate with people who are shooting pro cameras, pro lenses, spending large amounts of money on travel and their photography, that you have the right sort of hardware uh, to not only process your images properly with a great display, but to back them up, look after them, make sure they stay safe and well, uh, and have and have and be able to work with those images in a fast and efficient manner as well. Now, of course, if you listen to my last podcast where I talked about megapixel madness, you'll know that... that uh, the more megapixels you have, obviously, that also has a requirement for faster processing as well. Now, when it comes to specifying processor speed in computers for 
post-production work, you always pay a huge premium to take the fastest processor. And I think it's always good to just step back one step and save a few bucks at that point in time. And usually I don't recommend the highest spec processor unless someone is doing some very, very serious video editing or has a specific need for that level of performance. Usually the second level down is, is a great place to be. It's good bang for buck performance and it's usually enough. But when it comes to RAM, I don't believe you can have too much, particularly if you're what I call a power user. If you're someone like myself who has a lot of things open at once. You know, I can have five different Excel windows open. I might have 15 different browser windows. I've got mail open. I might have uh, Photoshop. I've got Lightroom open. All of them are running at the same time. I can very quickly go through 64, even 128 gig of RAM, uh, particularly if I'm doing a large import for Lightroom, importing a few thousand images as well, uh, rendering previews. All that sort of thing is very processor uh, RAM intensive. So I really think it's good to specify as much as you can possibly afford. Put in what your budget allows because that way it's going to last you longer uh, than if you try and go with a lower spec. It's been my experience that uh, Apple in particular, uh, Apple employees and Apple stores, lovely people, don't typically know exactly how photographers like to operate and what their real needs are. And even Adobe, uh, it's very difficult to get a senior engineer on the phone at Adobe these days. In fact, it's very difficult to get a human on the phone at Adobe. So uh, I generally don't recommend going to them for advice as typically you'll get someone who might be able to help you with a software issue, but not necessarily specify the right hardware for what photographers need. And that's really the key to this. Coming up with a strategy that works for you in the field and strategy that's going to work for you at home and a way to move images between field and home in an efficient, cost-effective manner where the images are going to be safe and protected. And for me, as I've said, that's working with a 14-inch laptop in the field, backing images up to an external SSD drive, not erasing my cards so that I have the images in three places, writing out all the changes to the XMP file while I'm in the field, and then copying that folder with all the XMP files and the raw images to my home SSD drive when I get home, importing that into Lightroom with all the changes that I've made in the field. And then that will get backed up to my spinning disk array, which as I said, that eventually will get replaced as well with SSD drives. Once they come down in price a little bit more, at the moment, 32 terabytes is, uh, if you're buying it in a Thunderblade configuration for something like a Mac Studio, from OWC, it's going to run you north of 5,000 US dollars. So again, it's pretty significant. But when you think about the investment in glass that most photographers have and cameras, not to mention all the other accessories, the travel as well, it's really fairly small at the end of the day. Uh, A fairly small but very important investment, I think, to make sure that you have a fast, efficient and reliable way to store, backup and process your photographs uh, in the home studio. So I think that about covers us for today. I don't want to get into specifying exact processor speeds for individual computers in this podcast simply because the processors are changing all the time. But if you are an Apple user, just jump onto Apple's website, have a look at their website, have a look at the options for the Studio or the Mac Pro, and it's very easy to price something to suit a budget, keeping in mind that you should definitely allocate a significant portion of your budget to a high-quality photographic display like a BenQ SW272U. It's a 4K Adobe RGB display, so it's got a much larger gamut than a laptop display. 
It's got much better luminance and you're going to get a much better result working with a display like that. Accurate color is at the cornerstone of what we do. So as I've said at the beginning of this podcast, it's my feeling that the monitor is actually the most important thing you purchase after your camera and lens. And if the budget only allows a monitor and not another external computer, uh, then you can always plug that monitor into a laptop display and use the laptop as the primary uh, computer, both for fieldwork and homework. Uh, when you've got the laptop at home, you can simply plug the high quality display in and be up and running. So I think we'll wrap it up there. Uh, that's my current thoughts on sort of IT infrastructure and, and backup strategies. I'm still, in fact, we should just touch on uh, cloud storage, actually. I have not yet moved any sort of cloud storage for backup. There are two reasons primarily for that. One is my Lightroom catalogs half a million images, and that's around about 12 terabytes currently, uh, if I recall correctly. That's a lot to be uploading to, to any cloud service. Uh, I also don't want to be beholden to any cloud service or have yet another subscription model on the go where I've got to pay uh, to have my images stored in the cloud service. So currently I'm not using any cloud storage. What I am considering doing is because I am now living between Australia and Sweden, I am considering some sort of portable SSD drive for my catalog. And that'll probably be an OWC Thunderblade uh, with 32 terabytes of storage on it. That'll have my entire Lightroom library that I can move between Sweden and Australia, keeping the master copy always in the one place in Australia. So there is uh, always always uh, things to change in uh in this area, it's a constantly evolving um, landscape uh, of products and costs and uh, technicalities. But that's my current thoughts on it. I think um, having been asked a lot over the last month about specifying hardware, that's how I think the right, that's how I think the right thing to do is is to go with really the best you can afford, allocating a significant portion to the monitor, uh, and then putting in as much RAM and SSD storage as you possibly can. So that's it for today. My current thoughts on IT infrastructure and backup. As I said, I'm leaving for Iceland tomorrow, uh, early tomorrow morning, actually got quite the long drive to Oslo. So tomorrow will be a transit day. And then the following day, I'll be driving up to Izafira, uh, one night there before I depart for the Hort Strand and Nature Reserve. So hopefully the foxes are there and waiting. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it's been very, very cold here in Sweden this week. We've had a lot of rain, a lot of wind. Uh, hasn't been too flash, but uh, it looks like we're going to have good snow conditions up in Iceland. So looking forward to that. Take care. I'm Josh. It has been the 5th of February, 2024, podcast number 91. Look forward to seeing you out in the field. Take care. <laughs>